Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, it's great to continue on our series on Elijah. Um, I've really enjoyed it on a personal level for myself as I've um, leafed through the pages of First Kings uh, 17, 18, and 19. And uh, I want to continue our chat this morning on Elijah. And uh, last week, we brought up uh, the conversation of fear. We, we went to James chapter 5, verse 17, where it talks about Elijah being an ordinary man like us, or just like us. And, uh, um, and we're going to see that. We're going to see, last week we saw how he was a, a man who knew the word of God. He knew the voice of God. He knew what it was to obey the, both of these. He was a man of courage and boldness. He was a man who understood what it was to wait in the brook seasons of life. He was a man who, who knew God continually provides, but sometimes provides in unconventional ways. A man who understood in times of tragedy when the widow's uh, son died, he understood that was a, a, an opportunity to press in, not pull back. And, uh, and so he pressed in, and, and the way we press in is through prayer and, um, and the power of unrelenting prayer. He was a man who, who lived with the conviction that his actions and reactions were important and they would affect whether people around him would see uh, Jesus. And we, we highlighted that verse that she, the, the widow talked about, uh, now I know. One of those now I know moments for, for this lady within this story who had lost her son and now has come back to life. And I just think that's super. And I pray for that, for more of that for my life. That people just through my actions and reactions, that people would say, because of you, now I know. Now I know there is, now I know, in this case, now I know that you're a man of God. Wednesday night at our cell groups, which I love that setting. I love that setting of sitting around and chatting. Um, maybe I chat too much. Um, that's open for comment. Uh, within our own setting, I'm, I'm open for for. for, for uh, uh, criticism on that, but I love that setting of where we learn from one another. We chatted about fear. We asked some questions about fear, just to open up the conversation. Not that any of us had the final answer, but that we all could learn from one another. And, uh, and within our setting, we talked about the fact of healthy fear and unhealthy fear. And, uh, and the conclusion of our group and, and our time together was that not all fear is bad. Not all fear is a bad thing. You see, Proverbs 9 verse 10, which was highlighted to me during the week as well, is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But, but there's a place where God is drawing us into, into this relationship. And, and 1 John, when, when, when in, in this passionate uh, um, chapter, which Neil is so passionate about, um, but, uh, and he reminds us so often about, but in this passionate chapter, it talks about perfect love casts out all fear. And it's that thing where we're ever coming closer to him, ever drawn closer and sensing his love and, and, and all the time fear being stripped away. Just like that song. I love that song that we sang, The Power of Your Love. It's an oldie, but it's a, it's a, great, it's a great oldie. Second Timothy tells us he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and sound mind. 
And so there's something that, that God wants to, gr- to grow within us. There's that sense that the more we experience his love, the more we move into, into this, different, this uh, different place. In two weeks' time, next week, we're having Dave, Adoption Sunday, really looking forward to that. And then the following Sunday, um, we're going to go at this again. We're going to look at the life of Elijah again for the final time. And that week, we're going to look at what was below the surface where Elijah's life was concerned. Because there were some unhealthy truths that we want to highlight and some ungodly identities that he was holding fast to. And, uh, and we see that, and we're going to look at that in chapter 19. But that's for two weeks' time. But today, what I hopefully want to, you to see is that none of us are immune to fear. And the second thing is that acting in fear will cause you to say things, behave in unusual ways, and literally take you 100 miles off course. You've ever heard that uh, said, we, we play football uh, on Tuesday nights, and um, they say I'm quite ambitious to get the ball, but when I take the shot, my shots are usually 100 miles off course, um, although Pumas isn't. But, um, and, and we're going to literally see how this man today, we're going to see how, in, in how he reacted in a negative sense to fear, actually took him 100 miles off course. So maybe that's where this statement comes from. And the third thing I want us to say is, God never leaves us in these moments. He never leaves us in these moments. And I think I will push that a wee bit further and say that he's actually closer to us in these moments. So chapter 18, I've asked you to read it over if you're on the WhatsApp group. If you're not on the WhatsApp group, please let us know and, um, and we can add you to that. But it was on the church WhatsApp group um, that we would read from chapter 18 right through to 19 verse um, 9. And basically there's a severe famine in the land. Last week that we talked about was uh, chapter 17 and and. and Elijah was to command this famine, and there was a severe, we opened chapter 18, knowing that there was a severe famine in the land. And after a long time, verse 1 tells us, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, return and present yourself to this wicked king Ahab, who, by the way, his wife is called Jezebel. And uh, in Elijah's usual style, which we learned was, guess what he did? He went. He was always obedient to the word of the Lord. And en route, he meets this uh, man called Obadiah, uh, a God-fearing man. Uh, He's an advisor, but he's a God-fearing man, but he's an advisor to this wicked king. And uh, he's out looking for water for the king's animals to try and keep them alive because the famine is so severe. And, uh, and when, when he meets Elijah, um, verse 7 tells us this man recognizes that this is Elijah and he falls flat on his knees. He falls flat on his knees. This is the way people responded to Elijah. The famine was so severe and everyone knew that Elijah was the man who, co- who, who commanded this famine to happen. And a dialogue starts between these two men, between Obadiah and Elijah, and basically goes like this, that uh, 
uh, Elijah says to Obadiah, go and tell Ahab that I want to meet him. And uh, um, Obadiah says, no, I'm not going anywhere because as soon as I go to tell the king, you'll disappear like you disappeared three years ago and we'll not be able to find you. And uh, over, the, over the past three years, what the king has done, he has put out a huge ransom for your return and you have got so, God has hid you so well, you'll just disappear again. But Elijah says, no, I'll not. I'll stay. I'll wait. And then Obadiah explains about this, the king's wife, Jezebel. She's an awful woman, you know. She's, she's, she's a serious woman. She's uh, going around the nation and she's killing all the prophets. She's creating havoc. She's not of our line. She's, she's a different breed. She's different. She serves and worships a different God. And she's out and she's killing all these uh, prophets. But I, Obadiah, have, uh, have um, saved or, or protected a hundred prophets and have hid them in two caves, 50 each. And that's going to be important in two weeks' time, that fact. Because um, for some reason, Elijah didn't seem to hear that. For some reason, he didn't pick that up. So uh, Obadiah went to Ahab the king and, um, and Elijah met with Ahab. And uh, you remember how Obadiah greeted Elijah, he fell on the ground prostrate. Well, o- o- Ahab met Elijah in a different way. He didn't fall to his knees and recognize his faults. This was the king who was leading the nation in the wrong way. And it was a chance for him to repent before Elijah. But he does what the rest of us do that have pride in our lives. He blames somebody else. That's what pride causes you to do. It always causes you to blame someone else. You always deflect it on to someone else. And so he he charges at Elijah and he says, hey, you troublemaker. You're the one that's caused all the trouble in this land. And in verse um, 17, uh, Elijah says, or 18, I haven't made any trouble. I have just done what, what uh, the Lord has commanded. But Elijah quickly realizes, you know what? You see a person with pride, there's no point in debating with them. There's no point in trying to argue them because they have their mind set up. They know best. And they're not going to en- he's not going to enter into any debate and waste any more time. He says, tell you what, we'll not chat anymore about that. You're not, King Ahab, you're not going to listen to me. You're the one that's caused the trouble, but you're not going to listen to me. But tell you what we'll do. We'll set up a challenge and we'll see uh, if your God or my God is um, the God to worship. And, uh, and so he tells, Elijah tells King Ahab in verse 19 to, to assemble all the prophets and all the people on Mount Carmel. Not just all the prophets, but all the people as well. And uh, all the people were assembled and 450 prophets of Baal. He also commanded that the 400 prophets of Jezebel would come as well. But I don't know, they, I don't know whether they ever made it or not. And Elijah challenges these 400 prophets. He's one against 400. And he challenges them in this way. We set up an altar. We, we put up the sticks. We get it all ready. We cut the, cut, each of us cut our, our, our sacrifice. We'll put them on the altar. And then we'll pray to our gods. And whichever God sends 
The fire is the God we worship and serve. And the prophets, Elijah being the gentleman, says to the prophets of Baal, you go first. And they went first and, uh, and they set up their altar and they cried from morning to late afternoon. And no fire came. No response. Uh, there was no answer. And there was no response. And no one paid any attention. That's what we read here in this passage. And then it's Elijah's turn. It's the afternoon and it's Elijah's turn. And by this time, it seems as if all the people have scattered down the mountain because they're like, this isn't going to work. And we're tired waiting about. And uh, Elijah, it's Elijah's turn. And so Elijah says to the people, he says, come close. Come close. I want to show you something. Come on up here. Come on up the mountain again. Raise your attention a wee bit. I want to, talk, I want to show you something. And, uh, and he, he rebuilds the altar. He uh, digs a huge ditch around the altar. And then he tells the people to flood the altar as much as possible so that it's impossible to light. And uh, then he steps up in front of the people. And in verse um, 30, um, 30, verse 30, where are we? Yeah, in verse 36, um, we read that uh, Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and, uh, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. And in 38, we read this amazing thing happened. The fire fell. It'd be good if we had a fire fell in here today, wouldn't it? Just a wee bit, not, 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 not as much as here, but just a wee bit, to just uh, take the chill off the air. Verse 39 says, Then all the people saw this and fell prostrate on the ground. Like the widow back, the knowing moment for the widow, the one, this was a knowing moment for the nation of Israel. What a moment for the prophet. Now he says, he, and so he says to the king, he, or he, they go, they slay all the prophets of Baal, 450. He says to the king, he says, king, now you go and get yourself something to eat uh, because the rain's coming. Remember, we're still in the drought. The rain's coming. And, uh, and Elijah goes back up the mountain and prays for rain. And uh, seven times we read that he bows on the mountain and, and, and prays for God. This man who saw things happen in an instant, now when it comes to the rain returning, has to pray seven times. There's no quick prayer, I, I don't believe. I don't believe this was a, a short time of prayer. This was a time where he had to intensely get into prayer. And each time he sends his servant out and he says, what do you say? And he's like, clear sky. And, he, and this dialogue goes on for, for six times. And then on the seventh time, he, he sends his servant out and he says, and the, he's, the servant comes back with this report, I see a cloud the size of a fist. Elijah says, that'll do. That'll do. Rain's coming. And, uh, and so then he goes and he tells the king, Elijah goes and tells the king, rain's coming, saddle up your horses and away home you go uh, to your wife and tell her the good news. And I love that wee piece at the end of this uh, story where uh, it says, Then the power of the Lord came on Elijah, 
And uh, he tucked his cloak into his belt and he ran ahead of Ahab. It's like as, as if I'm going to get home before you. And, uh, and uh, I was looking up the distance that uh, Ahab would have ran and it was at least 17 miles. And, uh, and he overtook the chariot on the way home. You know, life couldn't get any better for Elijah, could it? He's at the top of his game. He is the man. God is revealing his, God has just revealed his power to the nations. And Elijah, these prophets of Baal have been killed. Rain has returned to the land after a severe famine of three and a half years. He's untouchable. He saw everything that could be seen at this stage. He saw God provide for him at a brook by ravens. He saw God provide through a widow's morsel. He saw God raise a son from death. He saw fire come down from heaven. He saw so many and heard so many things. He definitely is the prophet of God. He definitely is the man of God. But chapter 19, we enter chapter, always after chapter 18 is chapter 19. Well, that's if your book goes beyond 18 chapters. And when you're at Sunday school, Sunday school is great. But you always just hear sections of the story. Sometimes you need to hear what happens next. And for what happens next is quite unusual for this man of God who stood on the mountaintop, who's persisted in prayer, who's known what it is to persist in prayer. He's known what it is to go through a trial and the longevity sometimes that that brings. Ahab goes back to his wife Jezebel, who should be happy. Happy wife, happy life, happy days. He should be going home and saying to his wife, guess what? It's starting to rain. She, her response should be, happy days. It's starting to rain. The land is going to be fruitful again. Our people are going to be happy. She is the queen. But instead, her reaction is totally different. She is furious with Elijah. And she's so cross that she sends out a threat a, a, a threat. On, and puts out a threat on his life. As I've said, this is the man who has seen so much in the previous two chapters. Verse 3 in chapter 19, what does Elijah do? This man of God, what does he do? This man who's taken on the 400 prophets of Baal, and then he hears a rumor uh, of a threat upon his life. It's only a rumor of a threat. Or it maybe is a threat, but anyway, what does he do? Verse 3 tells he was afraid. And he wasn't only afraid, but he ran for his life. Amazing what we'll do when we operate in fear and how irrational we can become. He shelters under a tree and then guess what he does? He prays and says, God, I've had enough. Please let me die. Hold on a second, Elijah. 
a week or a few days ago, whatever it is, you're living on the mountaintop. You've just seen God operate in so many ways. And now you're sitting on the edge of the desert in isolation. And your prayer is, God, let me die. It's amazing what we'll say. He says, I'm no better than my ancestors. When we operate in fear, it's amazing how we think. Then he lay down and fell asleep. It's amazing the amount of energy it takes when we're operating outside the will of God. Can I say something that I have learned on this journey is that none of us are immune to fear. But it's what we do in these moments will determine the outcome. When fear is acted upon, it causes us to do, think, and say things outside of our calling and character. And so he falls asleep, and we hear that an angel comes and visits Elijah. It's not ravens come this time, the unclean birds. It's not a widow that comes this time, but it's an angel, a special messenger of God. And I love within this story how gracious and loving we see God is. He's run off in the opposite direction. And when we run off in the opposite direction, our tendency to think is to think that God, we've abandoned God, or God is far away from us. But in this story, God was really close. God's special messenger came not once, but came twice. And we read in the story that um, the second time the angel came to feed Elijah, whatever type of food he gave him, it lasted him for 40 days. He was able to travel from there to Mount Herb, 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 H-O-R-E-B, H-O-R-E-B, Horeb. Guess how far Mount Horeb is? Approximately 100 miles. He traveled 100 miles in 40 days. And, uh, and he arrives there, and we read that he, um, in, verse chap- in, in verse 9, he spent the night in a cave. I think it's quite interesting that he spent the n- night in a, in a rock face with a hole, like a cleft, like a, because that's where he started out his journey. I don't know whether you remember me saying, yes, uh, last Sunday, when Elijah sent him to the brook, at the brook there was a cave, and that's where he stayed. And now he's back to the cave. And he lay down and fell asleep, exhausted. And that's how we often can be. We're exhausted in these moments. Then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. I love this part where it says, and then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. What are you doing here? I couldn't help but think of the story of the prodigal at this stage. 
Remember when the prodigal's out and he's spent all he has, he's lived all the life that he thought he could live, and then he finds himself feeding pigs and he's eating the pig's fodder at the same time. And it's like as if that moment he came to his senses. You see, each time in the story of Elijah, it doesn't say, it never refers to it, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. It always, it's always God directly speaking to Elijah. But at this stage, he's fallen asleep and the word of the Lord came to Elijah. It's like, it's like as if within his consciousness, God has woken something up within Elijah. And the words are, what are you doing here? And, uh, and, and so I just want to probably finish at that point and express the fact that God is very present in both places. He's not alone just present when we're sitting at the brook being fed by the ravens, but he's also present when we're 100 miles out, sitting in a cave, thinking to ourselves, how on earth have I got to this point? I'm looking forward to two weeks because uh, we are going to see how actually Elijah did get to that point, how he we're going to see some of the, the ungodly traits within Elijah. One of them is, I'm going to let you in on a wee secret, because we see it in the answer, is that he wasn't a team player. He wasn't a team player. And we see that in the way God tells Elijah when he brings him back to a place, restores Elijah. He tells him to go and anoint certain people. See, there's no I in the word team. There's no I in the word team. Elijah believed he was the only one left. Even though Obadiah told him he wasn't. He believed he was. He was delusional. He had an overinflated opinion of himself. He thought he was the only man fit to do God's job. We're going on into next week. But today, we're going to have communion. And, uh, and you can see the bread and wine each side. And uh, I thought that today, as we just have communion, if you're in that place where you feel that you're away from God, if you feel you're in that place where you're like, how on earth have I got here? How on earth has life ended up in this place? If you feel that there's times that there's something within you that causes you to act and react in unusual manners. If there's things within you that cause you to say and do things that are, you know as you look back over them, they're, not, they're ungodly. They're away from what God's ultimate plan for your life is. Then I, I just want to leave that place where we can be close to God, or God can be close to us. Actually, I'll rephrase that, where we can be aware that God is close to us, even in those moments. So the worship team, you're going to come and sing a song, uh, and as we do that, you'll see the bread and the wine each side. This bread and wine is to represent a beautiful covenant, a covenant of love that... Um, covenant of love that is written by God, a covenant that is perfect, 
a covenant that, irrespective of how we act and react, his love for us never changes. I heard a beautiful thing during the week on covenant. God writes this covenant. He makes this covenant with his people. I will love you with an everlasting love. doesn't matter how you respond to that as much as he is concerned that you understand how much he loves you. Then he makes it plain to us, makes it known to us, makes it known to us his side of the bargain, unconditional love. And then he does this beautiful thing where he goes through the Holy Spirit and comes round to our side of the covenant and enables us through the Holy Spirit to keep our side of the covenant. So we come into this beautiful relationship of love with him.